I go on too many dates, but I can't make them stay. At least, that's what people say. Mm-mm. That's what people say. Mm-mm. But I keep cruising, can't stop, won't stop moving. It's like I got this music in my mind saying, it's going to be all right. Because the players going to play, 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 play. And the haters going to hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. I shake it off. I shake it off. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Profound lyrics to lead us into today's reflection from Taylor Swift um, involving shaking it off. Uh, we're actually not going to use Taylor Swift anymore this morning, um, nor is her approach to this subject particularly relevant at all, but I could not get that out of my head as I was looking at the Book of Mark this week, so I thought I would give it to you. <laughs> so, so we're going to talk about, we've, we've been working our way through Mark, looking specifically at two ideas. Number one, the gospel according to Mark, the word gospel means good news. So as we look at the stories of each of the writers of, of the good newses, of the Gospels, then we need to understand that what we are receiving is indeed good news. And so what do we do when we look at some of the passages that are a little bit more peculiar, that we tend to kind of gloss over when, or, or not, not know, what, how do we handle this, and how is, how is this good news? And so, so we're going to take uh, these different passages, and we did last week and the week before, and we're going to keep going um, all the way up until the beginning of Lent. And we're going to take a look at why each story in the book of Mark is a glimpse of really, really good news in our own journey um, and how maybe we learn to share that good news with others. And so, so today we're looking at this, this story that, uh, that we find um, in Mark 6. All right, you just heard it read by Melanie. Uh, I'm going to hit it again here real quick just so that it continues to be in our minds. I like it when we hear scriptures more than once. So Jesus went around teaching from village to village. This is, by the way directly after Jesus is not accepted in his hometown. And even though that passage comes before, that's the passage that Sabrina is going to be sharing with us next week. Um, so, so it's important to know that there's a connection between these two stories. But um, I want to teach on this one. She wanted to teach on that one. So no worries about the order. So Jesus went teaching from village to village and calling the 12 to him. All right, these are the, the disciples um, there were more than that, but, but the 12 are, are frequently um, focused on. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Okay? So he gave them authority to cast out, like we talked about last week with the, um, the garrison man, uh, to cast out demons, to do all these things. Here's what he says to them. He says, take nothing. So Jesus imparts authority. Okay? He says, I'm going to give you unique special gifts here. Um, take nothing with you for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. All right, so, so think about this. He's sending them out. They're going to be on a significant journey for quite a few weeks, possibly. All right, days to weeks for sure. But don't take hardly anything with you. Wear sandals. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. There's, there's this like pragmatism, like wear sandals. You're going to be doing a lot of movement. <laughs> <laughs> don't go barefoot. Don't leave your sandals behind. You'll probably get sore feet. Wear sandals, but not, not an extra shirt. Okay? Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
If any town won't welcome you or listen to you, you should leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they preached that people should repent, meaning turn, right? People should turn to a new direction. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So that's the result of the story that we heard here. Now, um, I want you to sit with a few things this morning. Before we get into, I think, the most maybe interesting thing about this passage that we're going to unpack a little bit that I think might be uniquely relevant, um, we're going to start with the first part. And, and we're going to understand that the, uh, the core identity of a disciple, right off of the bat, the beginning of Mark, when Jesus invites disciples to come to him, he says he wants to come to him so they, they might be with him and he might send them out. So there's this understanding that finally, it only takes six chapters in the book of Mark, Finally, Jesus is equipping and sending his disciples out to share good news because that is a core identity of what it means to be a disciple. They, they are, are sent on a mission to the world to proclaim good news in both word and deed, okay? And to invite people toward this redemption, this kingdom of God that's coming, this redemption that Jesus is offering. Remember, they're not, they're not going out with the good news and say, hey, Jesus died for your sins, Right, we have to remember that, that that was not the good news at this point. The resurrection and the atonement and all of that was not a part of this good news. This good news was God is doing something new. Come toward it. God is on, well, we're going to get to all that. So we're going to get to what the good news actually meant because it's important as, as we get, get deeper into this. Um, so the question for us right off the bat is do we think of ourselves as being sent or do we just see this as one of the things that the disciples were? Do we say, well, yeah, I mean, Jesus sent people out because, you know, it was like a a movement, whatever. But, like, our job is, you know, we want to be, like, good Christians. And we want to, you know, go to church. We want to not do bad things. Or do we see ourselves as being sent out to a world in great need to proclaim God's goodness and healing? Do we see that in ourselves? And when we look at our lives and the way that we spend our time and our energy, do we understand a sentness about it? Or is it hard for us to maybe identify any, uh, any part of our Christian faith that looks like it is sent? All right? So we, you know, the question is, are we doing the real work that Jesus is asking us to do? Are we, are we saying, Jesus, where are you sending me? And what is the message that you've given me to bring? So we have to start by understanding that this is a core identity that we see throughout all of, the, all of the New Testament, not just the Gospels, but all of the epistles, all of the letters that we see are expressions of people having been sent. So, sentness is really, really key before we get into this, because it makes no sense to talk about the second part if we don't understand that a core identity of being a disciple means to be sent out into the world. It doesn't always mean moving and going somewhere new, but it means understanding ourselves as ambassadors to God's kingdom in meaningful ways. All right, so now that we've established that, let's talk about the next section of this passage Um, because uh, what we really need to talk about is dust and feet this morning. So what ends up happening is he sends them out and he says, go ahead, you're going to have to trust me and you're going to have to rely on the hospitality of other people. So when you go into an area and say, we'd like... um, to tell you about what's been happening with Jesus, the Messiah that's been coming, and, and we want to, um, to find out who is in need of healing, who's in pain in this community. It says, as people welcome you, stay in one house, don't go from house to house, right? And, and there's this cultural undergirding of don't, if you leave a house 
while you're still in that village, it could be offensive to somebody who thinks that they're not a good enough host. So in other words, um, there's kind of this understanding that if, if someone invites you in, let's be honest, and they're kind of poor, and then someone more wealthy says you can stay with us, don't, don't, don't go over there because of what it communicates about God's worth or about your own need for comfort. So that's really, when it says don't go from house to house, that's, that's what um, most scholars at least believe that is um, the cultural reality of, of what Jesus is saying here. All right. Um, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Here we go. Let's talk about dusty feet and a testimony against somebody because this really makes us think and, and can really touch on a whole bunch of emotions for, uh, for anybody that's been a Christian. Some people are like, yeah, I love shaking dust off as a testimony against people. And others are like, I'm really super uncomfortable with this passage because it sounds mean. Uh, so so let's, let's dive in. But first, uh, the thing that we have to lay out about dust is the cultural representation of what dust meant in the, Hebrew, um, in the Hebrew culture. At the time of Jesus, to talk about dust was to talk about a way of being influenced. Okay? And so, so what we get, there's, um, let's see, let me, let's go to the Mishnah here. Okay, so the Mishnah was an ancient writing um, that started about 200 years before Jesus, and it concluded about 200 years after Jesus. It's a collection of rabbinical writings that still guide the Jewish people today. Very, very strong. And here's one, one of the phrases. It's kind of an an instruction, also kind of a blessing for someone. It says, let thy house be a meeting house for the wise and powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. Okay? So what the instruction is to Jewish people is to say, your house should be a welcoming house for those who have wisdom to impart to you. Open your houses up and powder yourself in the dust of their feet is like, um, like, like someone who would be powdering their face with makeup. Um, or when you walk through a cloud of dust and it's kicked up and it kind of leaves a residue on you. And the idea is, is maintain a closeness to them so that what they are, are doing ends up influencing you. Ends up, you know, the dust is on your face that they're walking by. This is where the original phrase, um, because uh, disciples of rabbis would follow their rabbis closely. And so the phrase, the blessing, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi is a Jewish blessing, which means may you walk so closely with the one who is walking with God that you are covered in that influence of, of those who are faithful to God, okay? So it's the same kind of an idea here, all right? Um, so in other words, make your home a welcoming place and welcome all the teachers that might be passing through eager to learn from them, all right? So dust is about relationship and dust is about influence, and the disciples are attempting to bring both, right? And it's assumed in this moment, because Jesus just experienced it, but it is assumed by Jesus that there will be times where this doesn't happen well, all right? A time where when the relationship and the influence is offered, it will, it will be rejected. It won't work out. Jesus assumes this. Now, keep in mind, number one, Jesus gave them his authority. He gave them the ability to heal this powerful thing, and he still assume that there's going to be, whoops, that there's going to be times that uh, it's not going to work out, all right? So he says, if a place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Okay, let's now talk about a testimony against them. 
But the first question that we have to ask as we think about a phrase like this is, what is it that the towns would actually be rejecting? Okay? What is it that these towns are going to be rejecting in rejecting the good news or not welcoming them? All right? Um, The disciples are going out. They are healing people of sicknesses. They are restoring those who had been possessed by the demonic. We talked last week, remember, when Jesus healed this man, but it had a negative influence on the economy (laughs) of the townspeople. They were like, get out of here. You're making us uncomfortable. We don't care that you just saved this man's life. Keep these things in mind. All right? They are proclaiming that God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed. They're inviting people to turn away from mistreatment of others. That's what repenting was. Read what John was calling people to when John the Baptist called people to repent. Stop mistreating people. Stop exploiting. Stop being selfish. So these are the things that they are proclaiming. The good news is that God is on your side if you are suffering, if you are poor, if you are oppressed. But the Messiah has come to redeem all of Israel, to bring forgiveness. So this is what's being rejected, potentially. All right, it's very, very important. Because we tend to think of rejection as um, the way that we might think of sharing the good news. And we'll talk about that in just, just a minute. But we need to understand that when Jesus says some people might not welcome that message, it's because some people are so deeply embedded with the mistreatment of others, with self-advancement, with the things, with, with wanting to keep the status quo, even when it means that other people are, are unable to experience healing and goodness and enough. And so this is a huge theme of the scriptures. We can't just all of a sudden rewrite it because of how modern uh, Christianity looks these days and what it looks like to go and share good news. So we have to understand what people were, were rejecting, which number one might make us think, okay, I understand a little more <laughs> about why this might not be good news for them, those who are consistently rejecting the heart of God and what God wants to do and the healing of another. But secondly, the second question that we have, that we have or not question, but the second thing we have to look at is, you know, this phrase, as a testimony against them, there is, I've looked into this from every angle, you know, um, and th- there is an element of judgment here that you cannot get away from. Nor, nor should we try. We shouldn't try to make the scriptures say what we're most comfortable with. There's certainly an element of judgment here without a question. But it's not a judgment that the disciples particularly have a role to play in. And I think that that's really important. The temptation is for us to read a phrase like, as a testimony against them, and and take it like, yeah, that's right. Take that. Kind of like, you know, giving them a finger sort of a thing, right? Um, I find it interesting that when people read this passage, the only thing that they want to do, or the only thing they want to dwell on, is turn this thing kind of into a curse and let it add to their rage and anger and self-righteousness for all the people that don't want to accept Jesus. You know, like, I'll show you, you people who don't want my message. But let's be careful that we don't interpret this in some sort of a self-righteous condemnation in our spirits. Uh, Let's look at a case study, shall we? From one of the other Gospels, in Luke 9, when... This exact thing happens, okay? Jesus is rejected as they are passing through a town. Jesus, in Luke 9, sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. All right? When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, here's our moment. 
Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? James and John had a lot of growing to do in their walk with Jesus. But Jesus turns and he rebukes them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is really, really important in case what you think the previous passage is is all about absolute condemnation and absolute judgment. All of a sudden, we get a chance here for the disciples to say, yeah, let's, let's give it to these people who rejected you, Jesus. And you want us to destroy it? You want us to call down fire? It's so all the people that would hear about it would turn to God, right? Because he just destroyed these, these people who who didn't welcome you. And Jesus says, whoa, hold up. That is absolutely wrong, the way you're thinking here. Rebuked. It's a strong correction. And they move on. So if you want to put these two stories together, one way to do that might be um, to say, so James and John calling down fire on the town that didn't welcome him, and Jesus' goal clearly not being to destroy those who do not welcome the message. All right? You might even be able to look at these two stories and say that Jesus says, you want to call down fire? How about you just knock the dust off of your shoes and you keep moving? Let that be your judgment. Don't worry. I'm aware of hearts. I'm aware of attitudes. I am aware of behavior. It's not on you. Trust me to sort it out. It's not on you. I think that's a really important part of this story. Let's make it more personal, though. Let's, let's talk about rejection for just a moment in our lives. Uh, I want to give a precursor to this before we start this little part of the conversation. Um, we have to call out that sometimes rejection, as it relates to faith, rejection as it relates to us sharing, proclaiming, attempting to offer our faith and hope of Jesus to another, um, sometimes our lack of care and our lack of sensitivity, and our need to tell people everything that we think is wrong with them and needs fixing in their lives, is not actually people rejecting Jesus. They're actually rejecting you and your way of approaching things. Sometimes we want to hide behind the whole, well, everybody just wants to reject Jesus thing, but what we're actually doing is we're presenting Jesus in such a way that is not good news to people. It doesn't feel like love. I have been evangelized so many times in my life because I have the look of someone that needs Jesus. I've been stopped on a run by people doing a project out in front of their church, like, I don't know, planting plants in front of their big sign or whatever, and stopped me in the middle of a run and tried to give me a, a pamphlet. Like, I didn't even have a shirt on. Like, where am I going to stuff this thing? Um, and, and tell me about how much I needed Jesus. And I told them I was a pastor and they didn't stop because I wasn't their brand. Like, we got we to gotta understand that me rejecting that person and being like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'd like to keep running. Um, that was not one of those moments where someone's rejecting Jesus. That's one of those moments where we have to learn that if it doesn't look like love and feel like love to somebody, they are always going to reject it. And if God is love, then there has to be a connection between the way that we express good news and the way that love is felt and experienced. Okay? And we have to trust Jesus in all of this. We have to trust that the Spirit's at work and not just think that if I do all the right strategies. So, so before we get into rejection too much, we have to understand that there are times that people are rejecting an image of Jesus or an approach to Jesus and the good news that might not actually even be rejecting the good news itself. 
they might not be able to hear it because of how you're presenting it. So we have to learn sensitivity without, like some of you probably have been tempted to do, say, well, let's throw it out. I don't ever want to tell someone that, that Jesus might bring them incredible life and hope because I've seen it done so poorly. Friends, that's not the right answer either. So, just pause. So there's my, there's my precursor. Sometimes what people are rejecting isn't actually Jesus. It's poor approaches to sharing the good news. But sometimes people will choose to reject. Sometimes, and it might not always be like sharing the good news how we've been told, sometimes our attempts at love in our lives will not sink in. And we will do everything with a pretty pure heart and a clear conscience, and we will be desperately trying to be agents of love and healing, and people just won't want it. They won't want to receive it. Sometimes it happens within our families. Sometimes it happens with coworkers and friends. We, we try to reach out in a loving way and offer help, and it just seems, we, you know, we let someone know we're praying for them, and they're like, I am not interested in that at all. And it just feels, it, it feels hard, and it, and it can hurt. Whatever the case might be, sometimes our attempts at love won't sink in because sometimes people aren't interested in God's kingdom or the good news that God offers. I'd like to think everybody is. That's how my personality is. I like to think that everybody, if they saw who Jesus was clearly, would totally go for him. I, ca- I still kind of think that. I still kind of think that. But there are times when people reject the compassion and the love and the hope that I want to live within the world. That's not where their minds and hearts are at at this point in life. Um, and Jesus tries to tell us that our job is not to constantly convince the unconvinced, but to seek out and invite those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who long for the things that Jesus offers and the priorities of God's kingdom. This is so important. So what's, what's fascinating to me is Jesus in, uh, in Matthew 9, he sends his disciples out and he says this to them. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord to send more laborers out. Okay? So the interesting thing is here, Jesus is saying, hey, the harvest is plentiful. That's not, there's a lot of seeds in the ground. There's a lot of potential. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying there is, the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people out there who are eager to step into the way of life that, and, and justice and care and redemption and forgiveness and all of these beautiful things that Jesus offers. That, that, that's out there. There's people who are longing to live a life that lines up with the values of Jesus. Go and find them. Sometimes we, for some reason, we think that our job is to find the most unconvinced people and just argue their way into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, hold on, that, your job is not to change the heart. Your job is to have eyes open and invite in. And sometimes people are going to say, yeah, I long for that. I long for the hope of, of Jesus and maybe the expression of it that we're trying to offer. And some people will say, that's not particularly for me, for any number of reasons. And what Jesus does here is he says, that's okay. That is okay. It is not your responsibility apart from my spirit, right? And so, so we have to be able to rest in this. But what we tend to do is we tend to carry the dust from one village on to the next, on our shoes, right? 
Jesus' instruction here is more of releasing those people to God and relinquishing our needs to constantly convince others, to be at peace with moving on without carrying the emotional weight of rejection and trauma in our lives. Some of that we cannot avoid. But some of that, we need to hear Jesus saying, you are allowed to knock the dust off of your feet, that experience, and not let it jade you for everything in the future. What ends up happening um, is, uh, this is such important instruction, by the way, from Jesus. This is such important instruction. Because honestly, as we live the Jesus life, there are going to be many ways that we struggle to shake the dust off of our feet when we experience rejection or failure in any number of ways. And I think this extends, not just to when people reject us, but when we try something and it just does not work out. You know, we get a group started and it fizzles. We think that this service opportunity is going to be great and it feels like it's just not the right fit for us and then we feel super guilty about it and all of these things about, well, I I must not have the right heart or I failed or whatever the case might be. And, And so, so... It's just going to happen, and it's amazing how heavy the dust can be, isn't it? It's amazing how heavy the dust can be from one experience as we track it with our shoes as we continue on. Here are the things that happen if we don't knock the dust off of our feet after, like, moments of rejection and moments of failure in our lives. Um, The the first thing that can happen is is, uh, despair, okay? And despair... Despair is about me, right? Despair is about me where I say, oh, I'm not good enough, all right? I I just, I will never live up to God's calling. I can just never do this right. Every time I try to do anything and it just doesn't work out and I can just start to despair and say, I'm not, I'm not enough. That's what happens when we have failures or moments of discouragement, when we, f- when we face rejection. So, so this, this inner world of like internal despair is, is the one thing that happens. The other thing that happens, and this is super dangerous, is disdain. Disdain is all about you. Disdain is when, when I experience rejection or failure, I just get so angry at you people out there. You hard-hearted people. You people that don't know how, how much I'm trying, whatever. And it, it, teach, it, it gives you bitterness toward all those who you seek to love when it doesn't work out. We've tried meal communities that broke down and didn't work out in the past. It's really easy to look and say, well, if everybody else would have just done it right, those people, and, and, and we carry the dust of that, and we become very bitter people throughout the course of our lives. Very bitter people. That, that don't have healthy relationships. <gasps> Unexpected plug for our emotionally healthy relationships course that starts in a couple weeks because this is a real problem in our world. People don't know how to have healthy relationships. And so, I mean, we have this in our marriages, everything like that. It can, the same thing can happen all the time in so many little moments of failure or moments of hitting a brick wall in our lives. We just project onto somebody else. And here's the thing. Even if it's their fault, this does you no good. It might be their fault 100%. And you're still wrong if you give in to this disdain. You know, it's one of the problems with our culture right now. It's a culture of disdain for the other. And it does not help us accomplish God's heart. So, so that's the, and, but the third thing <clears throat> that can happen if we continue, like this, this first thing is internal, then the you is, is external, and then there's, 
this is one of the most dangerous ones. If we don't listen to the words of Jesus here, um, we give in to distrust. And that's about God. Boop. Sorry, this is a little dry. If you can't see that. Um, distrust is about saying that when we hit a brick wall, then God just didn't come through for me. God's not faithful. Right? Like, God, I thought you were behind this. And we just begin to distrust the leading of God. But Jesus right here sends people out and says, by the way, some of these times, it's not going to work how you think it will. Like, Jesus lays this out for us. And yet we get so angry. But God's not a cosmic ATM. We don't just plug in the right thing and then get whatever we want if we hit the right code. There is mystery to the faithfulness of God. We have been given a lot of opportunity to make choices ourselves as we follow the Spirit. It's a partnership between human and divine. And so when every time something doesn't work out, every failure, if it teaches us to just, just, to just distrust God, then we will end up with just a faith that is completely ragged and just rises and falls on if things go well for us or not. And that is just not the faith that we see in the Scriptures. That's not a robust faith. Um, so... <clears throat> So those are pitfalls of carrying the dust from one town to another. Um, when Jesus tells his disciples to leave the dust behind, he is giving us permission to continue to look for what God is up to without all of the closed doors absolutely destroying us. Okay? Um, there is a releasing of responsibility here that Jesus is saying. He's saying, move on. It's okay. Knock the dust off of your feet. And say, okay, that's, I'm at peace. I tried to love. I did what I could. But we do it without disdain toward another. We do it without despairing and thinking that we're failures. And we do it without losing trust in God's goodness and leading in the future. Um, otherwise, we just become cynical and bitter people. And it happens with the church too, right? Like, all of this stuff happens when we have good or bad experiences within the church and trying to be the body of Christ and build loving relationships. Things don't always work. We get into disagreements with people. We butt heads. We don't understand something, whatever. And, and if we understand that, listen, we're not, we're not going to give in to these things. We're going to choose to be able to release things. It'll make you so much, so much healthier. Um, so it's, it's just fascinating. When I run trails, um, I run in these super beefy shoes that have these really deep treads on them. I should have brought them in as an example. These are trail shoes too, but they don't have beefy treads. But the other ones are like four or five millimeters deep. And they give me this great traction, but when it's wet, thick mud gets caught in there. And if the weather dries out the next day and I don't knock my shoes off, I could be running miles and miles and miles with caked on mud in the tread of my shoes. And that does two things. Number one, it forces me to lose traction. And second, it's extra weight that I'm carrying around that's totally unnecessary. Um, so shake it off, right? So, uh, and I do. I, I smack my shoes in front of my house all the time. And then, you guys know what next door is? It's like a, yeah, it's like Facebook for neighborhoods. And people complain just like Facebook for neighborhoods. Um, but I knock my shoes off, and then inevitably, like 10 minutes later, I'll get an alert, and someone's like, do you guys hear gunshots in the neighborhood again? I'm like, oh, shoot, that was just me knocking my shoes off, folks. Um, but anyways, because it is, it is rather loud. That, that wasn't going anywhere. That was just like an add-on. Okay. If we are trusting God with leading us, then we need to learn to trust God in every way, including when things don't work out. We trust God with the results, good and bad, 
We seek to be agents of love and to continue to be sent people, sharing that God is so on the side of people and redemption and goodness and justice and forgiveness. And we trust that God will take what we offer and he will multiply it. Um, It's not about you. Faithfully love and move on in peace at the moment's where it doesn't work out like you'd like it to. I find it really beautiful that in Luke 22, Jesus is preparing for his death, which, by the way, is going to feel like a real rejection to the disciples. It is going to feel like a massive failure of the entire movement. And here's what he says. He comes back to the conversation that we just looked at. Right before he leaves, they're in, the, they're, they're, they're in this intense, intense conversation. Jesus says to them, hey, when I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said, okay, just remember that. Remember that when you went out, I gave you what you needed because the times are going to get a little rough coming up, but you've been through this before and you knew that what I told you was that you would have enough and you did. You did. I provided, so I'm going to continue to provide for you before their biggest rejection that they felt in their lives. Um, All right. Jesus will give you what you need to go out and proclaim the goodness of his kingdom. He'll give you strength, he'll give, he'll give you guidance, he'll give you gentleness, he'll give you conviction, he'll give you love, and he will also give you permission to release the hurts and the disappointments so that you are not constantly burdened as you continue to live out his mission. So let me proclaim that ancient Jewish blessing to you this morning. As you think about what dust you may still be clinging to your shoes or clinging and holding on to and what needs to be shaken off. So may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi Jesus. But the dust that remains that is not of Jesus, the moments that you fail, the moments that you hit walls of resistance, or the things that cause you to despair, disdain, or distrust, may you shake those off of your feet. Trust God to sort things out and faithfully choose once again to walk forward in love and purpose in God's redemptive mission. Amen.